You can't ride in my little red wagon. You can't ride in my little red wagon. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Chugga, 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 chugga. Suck it, verse, suck it, verse. A whole lot louder and a whole lot. What's up, y'all? This is Nick Bartlett. I'm a broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer over at OregonSportsNews.com. And I've had over 50 articles featured in the Seattle Post-Intelliger. And this is going to be a Sports Pack 12 original, The Nick Bartlett Show. So this is going to be a run-of-the-mill sports show talking about Pac-12, hot topics of the week. And one thing I want to stress is that I'm not much different than you guys. Seriously, I work a day job. My opinion is no more valuable than yours. And I'm just grateful for your viewership, your listenership. And without further ado, let's get straight to some Pac-12 action. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Nick Bartlett Show, everybody. So after last week's schedule release, probably a lot of excitement going around the Pac-12 community. This week, probably not quite as much news. Can't speak for the community and its holes itself. But for me, I may be a little bit more tired. But with that being said, what this does here is it really gives us an opportunity to take a deep dive into the upcoming season. And guess what? I'm not going to do that alone. Today we have another guest, and it's going to be Jack Fullman. He's formerly of Pacific Takes, and now a senior writer here with us at Sports Pack 12. So he's going to give you his synopsis here of the 2020 season. I'm going to follow that up with a deeper dive on the schedule, in particular looking at some of the top teams in conference, and how the odds makers and schedule makers may have stacked it favorably in their favor. And on top of that, going to look at the realistic or unrealistic route for a Pac-12 team to the conference, or excuse me, to the college football playoff. And of course, of course, we got Bartlett's random topic of the day. So without further ado, no hijinks. I'm going to send it down to Jack. And what are your thoughts here on the upcoming 2020 football season? It's been a long, weird uh, road in 2020 to get to where... It appears we're going to get a Pac-12 season uh, starting here in November in just a few weeks, but seems crazy. I think we've all come to terms with a few different options at a few different times, and this feels like what we're going to get, a seven-game um, shortened Pac-12 in-conference season without fans at games. Uh, but I think we're all going to make the most of it, and I think... It's going to be weird. I think uh, the season overall is going to be a lot like the year 2020. And what we've seen in some of these other conferences so far are in the NBA bubble a little bit where uh, expect the unexpected. I, I know some Pac-12 fans I've seen on Twitter and such have been laughing about, you know, teams like Oklahoma getting upset, LSU, uh, teams like Georgia looking like they're struggling a little bit, uh, Texas losing as well. But I have a feeling we might be seeing more of that in the Pac-12 than we might expect. We're, we might see a lot of upsets and, you know, we might see teams win the conference with, uh, win their divisions and win a conference with two or three losses. That would not surprise me in the least. But well, we, it's not, you can't predict chaos. You can't really do that. So look at how the conference uh, shapes up going into this season. It, it seems very even to me. Opt outs and opt back ins uh, and opt ins and all those things uh, play a factor that I really feel like, strangely, a lot of the media have seen going into the season uh, 
hasn't made too much of a deal, big deal of. I mean, uh, just a few months ago, we were talking about Panay Sewell as the greatest offensive lineman in the history of college football, and uh, now he's opted out for Oregon, and it doesn't seem to make an, an impact with a lot of uh, uh, the media who is forecasting the season. But uh, the opt-ins and the opt-back-ins are something that's probably the biggest factor to me right now for when you look at how the conference might might happen. You saw Oregon. Um, they got hit really hard, uh, maybe harder than anyone in the entire country, I think because of the th- delayed start in the Pac-12 and the way it's um, uh, kind of shaped things up. And then having players who are upperclassmen who are good enough to play uh, in the NFL kind of strangely and sadly this year ended up being a, uh, you know, a detriment to your team a little bit. But I think all the teams that saw those big opt-outs like Oregon, USC, and Washington, and uh, Stanford, they're going to be fine. They've recruited well enough in recent years to where, you know, I don't think it's going to make them uh, lose a ton overnight, but they factor in. And so to me, if you go look up at the North, that seems like the strongest of the divisions to me Uh, yet again. I, I don't know if that's ever not been the case since we've had uh expanded to 12 teams and to me after you saw players like Panay Sewell and Javon Holland uh opt out uh Oregon, Cal and Washington really f- fell into a cluster for me uh for for who's going to win that division or who should be expected to win that division and Cal sneaky um the only player they lost Cameron Bynum who to me is uh one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 uh, if not the country, super underrated, uh, just didn't quite have his best year last year. Uh, that's going to help with a team that also has stability at quarterback in uh, Chase Garbers, which is a rarity these days in the Pac-12, or this year in the Pac-12, uh, especially with some of the top teams like Oregon, Washington, and Utah. That's going to, Cal is going to sneak up on people. Uh, Justin Wilcox, I like really like what he's built there, having a strong, tough defense, and I think they're going to run the ball a lot. Chase Garber is also uh, very mobile and uh, savvy when he wants to run. So Cal is a team that I think is going to be sneaky in the North, but the team that they're sneaking up on is Oregon, uh, which still, even with the aforementioned loss of guys like Panesu and Javon Holland, I think still deserves to be the favorite for the whole conference and in the North. Uh, they're strong. They showed that they could win the conference last year. They have a, still have a decent mix of upperclassmen talent and uh, young talent that uh, is coming in through their past couple of recruiting classes. Um, the big question for me, for them, is Tyler Shutt at quarterback or whoever ends up starting a quarterback. Uh, there seems to be a an idea that they're not going to miss a beat there, which I think seeing how you know Justin Herbert's almost looked better uh, in the NFL in his first few games and he did a lot of times at Oregon in the past couple of years uh, under Mario Cristobal. So I think they might have a harder time uh, replacing him at quarterback, and that's going to factor in. But the good thing, I think, for Oregon is they have their first three games should almost undoubtedly be uh, wins. Uh, they have a soft start to their schedule before it gets tough in the back end, which will help them break in a quarterback, break in a whole new offensive line, and a, a lot of starters on the uh, defensive backfield. The other team I think people are kind of forgetting about up there a little bit is Washington. Washington went eight and five last year, had a had a fallback season after a good run under Chris Peterson, with Chris Peterson obviously, you know, his heart not being in college football anymore and uh having to transfer quarterback and 
losing a lot of the players that kind of made that Peterson run they had for a few years there as strong as it was. Um, they they struggled a bit, especially on offense, and there's a lot of question marks for them. But I think people are kind of forgetting the overall talent level that's still there at Washington. And the fact that they got a lot of underclassmen uh, experience last year, talented underclassmen too, who um, a lot of other teams didn't in the Pac-12 last year. A lot of the Pac-12 was upperclassmen, teams like Oregon and Utah, uh, who relied on that, and Cal to an extent. Uh, so they're not going to be breaking in as many new players too or having the opt-outs that are going to hurt them, though they have a couple opt-outs that will. Um, that's the North. You can't also can't sleep on Stanford, WSU, Oregon State. I mean, that's just a deep division. Uh, WSU, uh, it looks like they're going to keep the Mike Leach uh, formula going uh, with Nick Rolovich, which I think will be good for them. They continue to sneak up on people and just be competitive week after week with that air raid system. Oregon State, kind of my, they're kind of like Cal Light for me. Uh, they're they're sneaky. And uh, I think they can beat almost anyone in the conference in any given day. And I like where they're going to John, under Jonathan Smith. It's just that division is tough. Uh, Stanford, uh, I think they're probably, to me, the least scary of the teams up there. But they still have some talent. David Shaw's recruited well there in uh, recent years. Uh, Going to go down to the South quickly, where, to me, USC is the sneaky team to watch for the whole conference. Getting that stability and the best quarterback in the conference and Kadan Slovis is going to be huge in a year where... We don't have much prep. The prep's going to be strange, and um, there's just not very many proven quarterbacks. Plus, they did really well so far, uh, I think, with opt-outs. There was a lot of players, which we still may see some more opt-outs, like Amonra St. Brown, Elijah Vera Tucker. He opted out but opted back in. Talanoa Hufanga, Pele Gashiote. They had a guy, Tyler Vons, a lot of players who I thought might have opted out who have not, leaving them with a lot of proven experienced talent that I don't know if the rest of the conference can really match yet. So if they can do anything at coaching, uh, USC, I think, can win the conference. Um, Reminds me a bit of 2017 where you saw kind of Washington emerge as a power the year before in the way Oregon did last year, but they still had some kinks in what they were, and uh, there wasn't really another power team to step up. And USC at that year had Sam Darnold. They were really good at quarterback. Uh, and they had their usual talent, and they won the conference kind of by being the uh, the strongest of the flawed teams. Uh, as you saw in 2017, they were not good at a conference, but they won the Pac-12. I could see that happening this year. Uh, Arizona State and Utah are the teams I think can challenge USC in the South and easily could win. ASU with uh, Jaden Daniels, um, the second-best quarterback in the conference after Kadon Slovis, in my opinion, and they have some nice pieces there. Herm Edwards has done a lot there, exceeded expectations, but they haven't blown up the world. I wouldn't I wouldn't get too crazy on ASU just yet. They have a lot of holes, and they had some weaknesses last year. Utah, Cal Winningham, we know what they can do. Uh, tough defense, uh, just a tough team overall. They don't really take games off. They're a tough out every week, and they have some more talent now, but questions the quarterback, no Zach Moss, um, so I don't think we're, I think US, Utah might uh, have a year, a, a down year before they kind of rebound with the way that Utah's improved recruiting. The rest of the South, UCLA, Arizona, Colorado, there's things like about all these teams, um, it, and they're going to win a couple games each, I think, but I, I, I just don't see in any way any of those teams really competing for the Pac-12 title, and you know, that's what we're here to talk about. So really excited to see it for the season. 
Uh, can't wait for it to start. Whatever we get, we're going to get, and it's going to be college, back to college football, so we love it. Um, yeah, so can't wait. Dang, Jack. No thanks for coming on the show. I see how it is. Okay, I see how it is. You're probably still mad at me over one of the great debate answers, huh? That series, one of my answers pissed you off a little bit. Holding some intentional anger there. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, so in all seriousness, Jack, thank you for coming on the show. I agree with your insight of what you said, specifically in regards to Cal, good stuff all around. The only thing I do have to add is that Cal cornerback Cameron Bynum did opt back in earlier this week. So again, out there for Pac-12 Nation, Cameron Bynum did opt back in. So as promised in the introduction, we're going to look at some of the more prominent teams in conference now, their schedule and their overall kind of quick synopsis on their program outlook. So last week, I talked about how the schedule favored teams who are more likely in contention for the college football playoff. And I think that needs a little bit of clarification. And again, guys, and this is very, very important. Again, I'm not here to debate the ethics of whether this is right or wrong. It's pretty obvious that the Pac-12 do what they're doing, whether they want to admit it or not. And the best analogy I can give here, it's like when you go with that one party buddy, like that one real, real hard party buddy, you know, you guys, you guys are going to have some beers and the unspoken agreement. Hey buddy, you want to meet up for two beers? And we all know that two really means 12. It's just the unspoken truth, but I don't know if that analogy made sense, but either way, I really want to focus in on some football and some deep analysis. So let's get straight to it. The two teams who likely got the best scheduling draw are going to be USC and Oregon. So we're going to start with the duck schedule and the overall program outlook and go from there. And a lot of the information I used was an was an article written by John Canzano. So again, a lot of the information that I'm about to say now was found in an article written by John Canzano. So give the man the credit where it's due. So looking at Oregon, the Ducks have had four players opt out of the season, including arguably the best player in the Pac-12 in offensive tackle Panay Sewell. They're also tasked with replacing the number six overall pick in the NFL draft in Justin Herbert. And on top of that, they also have a new offensive coordinator in Joe Moorhead. So to me, this team has an extremely talented group, but I wouldn't expect them to qualify for the college football playoff. They'll likely be favored by most sports writers and analysts to win the North and probably the conference as well. But as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'll give my title predictions closer to the actual season. But with that being said, the scheduling committee seriously did just about Everything in its power to give Oregon a shot at making the big dance. I mean, just looking at their schedule, week one, they host Stanford, then at WSU, followed by a home matchup against UCLA. They should easily cruise out to a 3-0 record. The one thing that I think could possibly trip them up is the Cardinal. The Cardinal seriously may have something to say about that. Obviously, Oregon's still going to be favored, but don't count out David Shaw. The back half of their schedule does get much more difficult as they travel to Corvallis. Berkeley, and then host Washington to end the year. And in particular, those last two games should prove pivotal uh, in deciding the North. So I wouldn't hand the division to the Ducks just yet. Not, not, not quite yet. Cal and Washington might have something to say about that. Bottom line is their schedule is extremely favorable. The three matches to begin the year should really give the inexperienced Ducks a chance to find their footing and move forward from there. And just a quick little note, I mean, you're looking at a new quarterback like Tyler Shuck. And you'd expect him to really have solid outings against Stanford, WSU for sure, and uh, UCLA. I mean, that's just, it doesn't get much easier in regards to breaking in a new quarterback. Obviously, the loss of Panay Sewell is really, really going to hurt. 
you don't have that consummate protection on the offensive line, and that could really kind of play into his head. When you think you have that heading into the season, and now the brick wall protecting you from monsters is gone, that may play into the youngster's head a little bit. So those are some things to consider. But again, just their schedule is so, so, so favorable. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, at WSU and UCLA and Stanford in their first three, they, they really need to get that done. Hopping over to USC here, though, plain and simple, their team will go as far as sophomore quarterback Keaton Slovis takes them, and he's going to be complimented by the talented wideout duo of Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughns. They have a lot more talent on the offense side of the ball, but this is a quick synopsis, you know what I'm saying? So on defense, though, and this is going to be the one thing that can really play into factor or a title hindrance type of thing here, they really just need to improve it on that side of the ball. Last year, they allowed 29.4 points per game which was good for 78th in the nation. And this is not good for a team who'd like to compete for a conference title and a potential college football playoff berth. Playoff berth might be a little too much, but conference title is definitely within USC realms this year. And looking at their schedule, it's a little bit different than Oregon's, a little bit more front-loaded. They do have a week one matchup where they host ASU. And to me, that will likely determine their entire season. And really, seriously, guys, if they can hold on to that, they should really, really stride ahead. Stride was not the right word there. I feel like I've thrown in some random words that haven't made sense today. Either way, bottom line is that matchup versus ASU is crucial. If they can win this, they travel to Tucson, which will prove an easy win, saying them 2 0. Really, <laughs> I mean, come on, you ain't good. After that, they travel to Salt Lake City for a contest with the Utes, who they beat last season with a third string quarterback. So assuming they survive the ASU and Utah gauntlet, the rest of their schedule lines up really favorably as they host Colorado and then travel across town to face the Bruins to round out their campaign. So if you're looking at their schedule in its entirety, as mentioned, not quite as easy as Oregon's. In particular, that week one matchup versus ASU, that just is going to be everything for both teams. ASU as well, but right now we're obviously focused on the Trojans. But seriously, I cannot overstate or understate that matchup enough that will determine just about freaking everything but seriously assuming they survive the first three weeks of the season they could easily wind up 6-0 with a south title and so while USC schedule can't be considered quite as easy as Oregon's when you compare the two aforementioned slates against a team like the Bruins I mean this is where it gets really really obvious that the Pac-12 scheduling committee definitely had some tricks up their sleeve usually I say maybe probably but I mean, just look at UCLA's schedule now. Again, we just talked about USC and Oregon. You saw how easy it really was. Or not maybe easy. This is still Pac-12 football. But it could have been a lot more difficult. And we'll leave it at that. For UCLA, sorry Chip Kelly, man. Sorry Chip Kelly. This could probably be his final uh, year in Westwood. I mean, it just, their schedule is just stacked, man. I mean, they open at Colorado, which doesn't seem like much. And then they host Utah on a short week Friday night game before traveling to Eugene to face the Ducks. So the reason I was talking about how that Colorado matchup might not look like much on paper, but could be a lot more difficult than kind of you think, is that Colorado wasn't heavily restricted in terms of practices and workout restrictions late in the summer, which could prove a huge competitive advantage. And so the same thing can, set up, can be said about the Utah matchup, even though that game would have been difficult either way. So what that essentially means is while UCLA players were at home playing NBA 2K or Madden or whatever college kids do. Colorado and Utah, they had some players on campus working out. And this isn't the NFL. You can't expect college kids, you know, 
really determine and stay on their own strict schedule. So should be really interesting to see how that plays out for the Utah and uh, Colorado and how if UCLA can really hang with them, bottom line. And so the back half of their schedule, looking at that here, <laughs> just as difficult. They get one gimme in Arizona, excuse me, they host Arizona, and then they travel down to Tempe and then back home to face rival Trojans to round out their slate. So essentially the Bruins draw Utah, Oregon, ASU, and USC. I mean, should we throw Alabama on there too? I mean, seriously though, Utah, Oregon, ASU, and USC in a six-game season. That's... That's going to be tough. I think that the, disparity, that the disparity in schedule speaks for itself, bottom line. I mean, you're looking at Oregon and USC getting a lot of, not gimmies, but pretty easy matchups where a team like UCLA, four out of their six games are very, very difficult. So you got to understand that the Pac-12 is clearly trying to get a team to the college football playoff, and there's no better way to now transition into it. So... In regards to the CFP, it's probably unlikely that the Pac-12 makes the big dance, even if a team does manage to go undefeated. That's the cold hard truth. I know other writers might be trying to tell you there's a chance. I don't think that's realistic, and that's not something I feel comfortable doing is lying. I mean, I just don't think we have a team that's good enough. I mean, if you're looking at the current top 25, you're looking at teams like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and Clemson, three of those teams will likely qualify for the playoffs. I mean... Even a one-loss SEC team like Georgia or Alabama could be more favorable than a 7-0 Pac-12 team. I do believe that Florida actually lost earlier today, which makes the schedule a little bit easier. But again, just not looking good for the Pac-12. And so what that does here is it only leaves one spot remaining. And this isn't even talking about teams like Notre Dame, Ohio State, Miami, and Oklahoma State. And all of those teams have a realistic shot to qualify for the tourney. You guys, I'm using tourney, big dance, and college football playoff interchangeably. I know those are usually basketball terms, but it gets a really repetitive saying college football playoff, college football playoff. You get what I'm saying? So I'm saying tourney or big dance. You guys know what I'm talking about. But again, right then and there, we have seven teams who could be considered more probable to make the college football playoff than an undefeated Pac-12 team. I mean, if a Pac-12 team wants to realistically impress the selection committee, they'll really need to win almost every game in blowout fashion and really pass the eye test all in one. So for me, what that means is think of a team like Pete Carroll's USC Trojans. We really need a team who dominates close to that realm. Seriously, guys, we, we don't need like just a good team. We need an elite freaking team. If you're the USC Pete Carroll Trojan era isn't what you're looking for, maybe like a Chip Kelly Oregon team at the bare minimum. I can't see a team with any worse quality than that even getting any consideration for the playoff. We're talking just consideration. So bottom line is it's going to be tough. And a realistic path for this to happen, if there is a realistic path, is going to be a primetime matchup. And so this is where a conference championship really is going to play into the Pac-12's favor. And they really, really need this to be a primetime game between undefeated teams. I just don't think that, or excuse me, um, where, where was I going with this? So Again, I think that we do need... I'm struggling here, guys. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. All right, let's get back to it. So I don't necessarily think that a 5-1 versus 6-0 matchup would eliminate the undefeated team, but it, it just wouldn't look favorable to the committee, bottom line. So in my eyes, if a Pac-12 team wants to qualify for the college football playoff this year, they'll likely need a flash style comparable to the Pete Carroll era Trojans or Chip Kelly's Bruins, or excuse me, Chip Kelly's Ducks. 
that's really the only way I see the Pac-12 getting a team in the college football playoff. And I don't know if we have that team, guys. I can't lie to you guys. I just do not think that we have that team. So that's going to do it for our football coverage this week. Leaving us with Bartlett's Random Topic of the Day. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> All right, guys. So in Bartlett's Random Topic of the Day, I think we've had oatmeal covered. I think we've had some party stories. And today we're going to go to learning from kids. So I work at a Catholic school daycare. And I did kind of touch on this topic in another random topic, but just a little bit different. I was talking about the power of sports. But today I'm going to talk about learning from kids. A lot of time as adults, we feel like the need that we need to teach them and we need to guide them. And obviously in some situations we do. Let's not be foolish here. Obviously, you know, we got to protect kids and take care of them. But that doesn't mean you cannot learn a heck of a lot from them. And I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter today. Last week I held you on the freaking podcast for like 45 minutes. So I'll wrap it, a lo- wrap it up a little bit quicker this week. But I really want to kind of touch on a couple of points here. So one, we got a couple seventh grade boys that I watch and I am just so impressed by their creativity. Just like, dude, it's like, they'll like break a Frisbee in half and throw it. And then they'll like crack a hula hoop. And then they'll like roll the hula hoop and try and throw a Frisbee through it. It's just so cool to see. Like they can be entertained by freaking anything. They'll start like throwing a football as hard as they can against a fence and have an absolute blast doing it. As adults, I feel like sometimes we may lose this just like, vigor for life and when when you see stuff like that it's just so freaking cool man it's it's seriously like anything they're, they're entertained by they'll like make a paper airplane and throw and just start laughing like <laughs> it's like it's just, it just really like awesome to see the next point i want to make here is that the girls and their ability to have fun so the girls i watch at the daycare are between i believe first and fifth grade and they just have fun doing everything. It could literally be drawing a picture, going for a walk, watching a movie. They're always giggling, laughing, having a blast. And it's just so cool to see. Like, it's just so freaking cool to see. I mean, you just don't get laughter like that in everyday life. They tried to draw a picture the other day and we were all laughing so freaking hard. I don't know. I ended up looking like like an elephant wearing a dress with the bow tie or something. Bottom line is just so much freaking fun. And I just believe it'd benefit pretty much all adults to find our inner kid. The best analogy I can give, this is an analogy, this actually happened earlier today. I was thinking, because you know, life's so serious, life's so serious. Like, obviously, I love to have fun on this podcast. I enjoy doing this, but in everyday life, sometimes I may not be this chipper. You know what I'm saying? And so like, I was thinking to, I was driving to the store and I was like, thinking about work. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to like turn on some music and dance like crazy and have fun in the car. And like, it was so freaking fun. I was singing, I was dancing, I was having the time of my life. I did not care if another car looked over. I was switching from rap to country. I didn't listen to rock today, but whatever the song was, I was enjoying it and having a blast. And I learned this from watching kids, man, just seeing the way they have fun. I was able to implement it into my life and it made my day a lot better. I was going to the freaking grocery store and it's probably one of the funnest moments of my day. It's like, why are you in a mood? I was man, brand new. All right, the no copyright infringement. Y'all know that song. Maybe you don't, whatever. 
you know, I gotta say no copyright infringement for the technical, even though I don't know who in the heck would think that that's a real remake of the song. So promise I'll get you out a little bit quicker today. That's it for Bartlett's Random Talk of the Day. Learn from kids, find your inner kid, and most importantly, have fun and spread love. Don't like to repeat myself, but those are points I will always harp on, more important than sports. But in conclusion on today's show, thanks, Jack, for coming on for real. I'll bring the boxing gloves for the next great debate. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> even through all the changes in the Pac-12, coronavirus, 2020, and all just the weird scenarios all around, essentially, the title predictions are still the same. A lot of pundits and analysts, and Jack included, think that Oregon and USC are probably going to be the favorites. Sorry if I just misspoke for you there, Jack, but I believe that's what I understood from your segment. Again, these are not necessarily my picks, but many analysts and pundits would consider Oregon and USC the favorite. The other teams to consider would be Cal and UW in the north, and Utah and ASU in the south. And there's really no easy path for the Pac-12 to the college football playoff unless a truly, truly elite team emerges again. Think of Pete Carroll, USC era, or a Chip Kelly, Oregon era. That's really the only chance we have. And again, I challenge all of us to find our inner kid. I can't tell you how felt how great I felt dancing and singing in the car this morning. For real. Felt good. Truly healing stuff. Truly healing. So thanks for tuning in as always, Pac-12 Nation. The season is getting closer. It is right around the corner. And it could definitely prove to be a lot of fun. <laughs> certainly, certainly unique, but still should be a lot of fun. Cheetos and tuna.